0: All right. I have to admit alien Jeff is cuter, but, uh, but I do, I do want to welcome everybody. Let's thank our alien friends here who are setting me up to our beautiful assistants. Um, so I know there, I know that alien Jeff, um, said hello and, and welcomed you, but, um, let me join in on that as real Jeff and push this back a little bit. Uh, whatever campus you're at, whether you're been here a long time or a short time, or you're at, uh, online right now, however you're with us, really glad you are. So today we are finishing our Future Quest series. Next week, though, let me just say a word. I know your campus pastor or your host uh, probably uh, said something about Vision Week next week, but uh, plan to come is all I'm saying. So if you are a Chase Oker, uh, which means you've been here once or more and you want to be in, you're in. And that's what makes you a Chase Oaker. Um, it, if I could make it mandatory, I'd make, I, I would. Well, let's just make it mandatory. Why not? We'll just decide right now. And because uh, it'll be so important for us to move forward together um, as we share what we're going to be sharing for this next era for our church. And for those of you who are new to Chase Oaks, it's really great timing because it, it gives you a shortcut to say, yeah, what is, what are they trying to do? Like, what is this place all about? And you'll be able to get that like that, which is pretty awesome. So um, ...that's next week. Today, we're finishing out our series, Future Quest, where we've been looking at what it means to be more intentional about the future that we're creating. And let me just give a recap to the series. I know you remember every one of these, I'm sure. So the first week of the series, we talked about the fact that God has thought about you before, he, before you were born. That God has a vision for you, a preferred future for you, and that He invites us to join Him as we take steps... In that process and that was week one. And so the rest of the series so far has been about those kind of steps we take. What does it mean to join God in creating his preferred future and moving toward his preferred future? So, so far we've emphasized our responsibility in the process of future quest. So the next week we talked about the principle of the path. Remember that? Uh, That's direction determines destination that if you want to know where you're going, it's actually not that hard to predict your future. Just look at the path that you're on in whatever area of life because that's leading somewhere. And, the, and God invites us. He's given us wisdom to submit to, to obey, to say, let's get you on a good path in different areas of life that will likely lead to a good place. The next week, we talked about habits. How you and I don't get from here to God's better there, typically in one big jump but actually thousands of tiny steps, the little habits that we put in our life. The principle there is that you and I become what we repeatedly do. Uh, the week after that, we talked about friends, how you and I can't get from here to there on our own. We have to have a crew and not just any crew, but a certain kind of crew that will encourage us the right direction. And, and so therefore we talked about, you know, the people we hang out with the most or the people we're going to be most like. And that was that week. Last week, Ryan did a great job talking about distraction and what it means to stay on track and to continue to be open to God and open to all that he wants to do in our life. So, so far, this series has probably felt like, at least it has for me, a little bit like a kind of a kick in the rear. Like each week, it's like, ooh, you know, so uh, maybe, you know, the first, you know, the principle of the path. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess I need to change my path. Or, oh, I need new friends. Or, oh, I need to, you know, put this habit in my life or get rid of this bad habit um, that's creating a bad future. And that's all good. If it's felt like a kick in the rear each time, let me encourage you to whatever God kicked you in the rear to do, do it. Uh, Because our responsibility, the steps that we take matter. But today is going to feel differently. Um, rather than a kick in the rear, uh, we're going to end this series today and future quest in a way that will probably feel more like God's hand on your shoulder, like reassuring hand on your shoulder, because today we're going to be emphasizing God's responsibility in future quest. Not, we, we've talked about our responsibility. It's all good, all important. We'll be thankful for everything we did. And everything we do. But today we're going to focus on God's responsibility. Because when you and I begin a relationship with him. And that's a big if and when. But when we do that. We begin a relationship with him. Open our life to his presence in us. Then he commits to us. Like Philippians 1, six. Paul says confident of this. That he God who began a good work in you. Will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. What he's saying is. That the minute we begin a relationship with God, I will, that God begins to work in our lives and he will, with or without us, he will complete what he started. It's a lot better for us when we cooperate with that. But regardless, God commits to us and he takes responsibility for future quest. He really is the one who has the controls of the process and the results. One way to say that is this. We have influence in our future quest and leading to that better place. But God has control. And that's good news, by the way, because, I mean, it's going to happen. And when we have influence. We can make it easier or hard, but it will happen. God has control. One way to think about that is this. When I was little, like five, six years old, um, occasionally my dad, if we were just driving around the neighborhood, would say, hey, Jeff, do you want to drive? And this was Alabama. OK, so. <laughs> Most most people start driving at like three in Alabama. I was a late bloomer. Um, I'm just kidding. But, but you know, when I was like five, six, he'd say, do you want to drive? Now, what that meant was is he would he would put me on his lap. He's still in the driver's seat. I mean, my feet couldn't even reach the pedals, right? So I, I'm in his, you know, lap. And I have my hands on the steering wheel. And I have influence. Like, I can feel it, right? I, I remember that you could turn and I would turn, you know, right, and all that. But guess what? His hands were still on the Steering wheel too, And he would only let me do so much, only let me go so far. I had influence, but he had control. And in future quest, we have to understand that. We're not in control of the process or the results. You and I have tremendous, we do have influence. And for every good thing we do, we'll be thankful when we don't do those things, and it makes it harder, but God has control. And it's so important to understand that for a lot of reasons. Because if you don't understand that God is in control, we'll make some big mistakes that will make make the whole journey a lot less joyful and effective. Um, one of those ways we can make a mistake is if we're a high performer, like we're really good at doing all the right things. And if, we're really, if you're a person that's really good at doing all the right things, you're like, man, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, not perfect, but look at the person next to me. I'm better than them. And, you know, you think yeah, I'm doing pretty good, then you'll not only become arrogant. But also you'll begin to expect or even demand that certain results out of God. Like if I'm doing all the right stuff then God would never allow that to happen or, you know, this is going to work out this way or whatever. And that's going to be really disappointing because if you think you're in control of the process and the results, you're not. Um, it's also a problem if you feel like you're, you know, like you're doing all the right things and in control, because as we're going to see today, it's very easy to do All the right things and and think that the point is actually this, you know, future and a certain kind of future that we have in our minds. This is the kind of career. This is what my career will look like. This is what my family will look like if you have that. Or if you get married, this is what my marriage will look like. Or this is what my ministry will look like. Whatever it is. um, and, And you can get all that. And actually miss the real prize that God has for us in future quest. You can actually get everything that you ever thought you wanted and miss what's about way more important than that. And today we're going to talk about, well, what is that? What's way more important than that? It's also really important to understand this control thing if you're not a high performer, if you're not so good at being good, if you're not so good at doing everything right. Maybe you've, maybe you've failed in some really big ways and you think, well, God's written me off. I mean, I may get a little good future, but not a really great good future or maybe you're just saying, man, I just I'm just screw up. I'm not one of those hot shots. I just keep screwing up spiritually and and I, I can't ever quite get it right. And so God's never and and you can kind of give up on yourself. And that's even more damaging because that's not true. The, the truth is God uses our good steps and that's great. But he also uses our missteps. And we're going to see those, too. And that the process is even more important than the destination, because it's in the process where we get that real prize A future quest. And today we're going to say, well, what is that real prize? We're going to talk about it. So today we're going to hear from a guy who learned this lesson the hard way. His name was Paul, the apostle Paul, one of the heroes of the New Testament, wrote uh, much of the New Testament. Uh, He was the one that God used to really spread Christianity and in his era and start churches all over the place. And in the book of Philippians, which we touched, uh, touched on a couple of minutes ago, we're going to be in Philippians 3, he talks about this lesson that he learned. Now, to understand the passage we're going to look at, we have to understand um, kind of the way it worked leading up to Jesus. So Paul was a believer before Jesus because he was a believer in the Old Testament sense. He, you know, Jude, Christianity comes out of Judaism uh, God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, to be a light to the nations. The temple was there and the promise was that God would send the Messiah, the Savior, through them. And so they were all looking for that. And leading up to that, you had the Old Testament law, where there's all this stuff you had to do. And if you did it all, then you were great. And if you didn't, then you weren't. And so Paul uh, talks about his time leading up to Jesus. He even rejected Jesus for a while. And and what we see is he was really good at being good. He was a star performer. He wasn't a player. He was the kind of guy that just did everything right. And he learns a big lesson. Here's how he talks about it. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. Now, what he's saying is this. Hey, if, if you think you're good at being good, I'm, I was better. Like some of you are competitive right now and you're like, I could beat him. Right. If you're just like built that way, I think he was competitive, too. But if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. That was part of the Old Testament law circumcised on the eighth day. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom. Um, in fact, even if you do know what circumcision is, it'd be kind of fun to call your mom this afternoon and just ask. Uh, maybe not. But i uh, am circumcised on the eighth day. So that was part of the law. So what he's saying is, hey, you know what? I started doing it right at eight days old. I'm such a go-getter. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, there were 12 tribes. That was a really good one. You'd brag about that one if you're from that one. A Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning I, I could out Hebrew any Hebrew. Uh, he was that good at being good and doing the law and doing all the right stuff. In regard to the law of Pharisee, uh, if you have been around Christianity a while, when we hear Pharisee, we're like, boo, they're bad people. But in, G- in, in Paul's day, they were great people. They were like awesome people. They spent their whole time doing everything right. They were like the goody two-shoes people. And, and Paul literally was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, he was an activist. He persecuted the church before he came to know Jesus because he didn't think Jesus was the Messiah and this was a dangerous thing. And he was such a go-getter that he went after it. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. It's hard to get better than faultless. He's saying, look, I was really good at being good. And here's the thing. Before Paul met Jesus, he accomplished what we might think of as a great future. Like he kind of arrived. Everybody wanted to be him. If you were a Jewish kid, you might have his trading cards, like baseball cards, you know, with Paul's picture. Like, yeah, you know, you'd, if you had a kid, you'd want that kid to marry Paul or somebody like Paul. That's just who everybody wanted to be. Everybody respected him. But he learned a really big lesson. And here's what he says about all that he accomplished. But whatever were gains to me, I now that he met Jesus, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Meaning all that other stuff that he was so proud of is so great. Gone. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, doing everything right, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. So Paul says, look, before I met Jesus, I took a lot of great steps. I accomplished a lot. People thought it was awesome. But once I met Jesus, I realized all that stuff just a bunch of garbage in comparison to what he re- the real prize the future quest. Now when the when the NIV translates it garbage, it says I consider them garbage. Um, that's that's very much a, it smooths it out the, the translation a lot from the original language of the New Testament that Paul was writing in, which is Greek, ancient Greek Koine Greek. And garbage isn't bad. I understand why they would do it. You will too once you uh, understand. Uh, because the word, the Greek word is scubola, which is kind of a fun word to say. So let's just say scubola, scubola. Let's do it one more time. scubola. Okay, I just made you cuss. I really did. That's an ancient Greek cuss word. Do it one more time just for fun. Scubola. Yeah. Like back then, if you were playing golf and they were too smart for golf back then, they didn't have it. But if you were playing golf and hit a bad shot, you might say scubola. Or if you were, you know, hammering or whatever and you got your thumb instead of the nail, you'd scuba, right? People would say that. It was, uh, um, it, we have an English, we have an English equivalent of it. Um, it, it's a word that refers to poop and, uh, and rhymes with spit. Is that enough to kind of get where I'm going there? Um, so you just learned, uh, you know, ancient Greek cuss words. Somebody's like, I knew I should have gone to Prestonwood, but, uh. Maybe they're learning cuss words, too. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> um, and all I'm saying is, which is a great place. I'm not making fun of them. Make trying to make fun. of. So um, it's not the kind of word you say in church is all I'm trying to say. So uh, when if, in fact, when I was in college, I wish I had gone to this other church and experienced this. I just had to hear about it. I missed it but it was a church that was hiring or like possibly hiring a new worship leader. And so he was there visiting the church and leading that weekend in worship just to see if he would fit and people wanted him there. And it was a good thing, right? So he's trying out for a job and this was a traditional church. So they had a choir, you know, people with robes and, you know, singing behind him and they sang on a hymnals. If, which is this book of songs, old songs called hymns. And, uh, and so he was holding it with his left hand. he was leading from a big wooden pulpit that had a had a microphone like right here and so he 's he 's holding his hymnal with his left hand and doing this with his right hand. I don't know what they do or I, it's keep rhythm, I guess, or whatever, if you've been in those kind of churches. So he's doing that occasionally looking back at the choir and doing that. You're right. So he's whatever the hymn was, you know, he's there. He's leading it, you know, like a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, whatever. And so he's doing the thing. And as he tries to turn the page with his thumb, he drops the hymnal. And the microphone's right there, which makes him go even more. And when he drops it, and out comes scubola. Yeah. Um, except it wasn't scubola. It was that other word that rhymes with, yeah. And it just, boom, came out. So at that moment, so the organist is still going. She's like, you know, going to everything. But everybody else in the church is like, nobody's singing. Like, everybody's just like, you know, in shock. And he didn't get the job. Um <laughs> In fact, from what I understand, he just, you know, they tried to go on for a little bit. And they're like, he just sat down. Like there was no way to recover from that. And uh, because you don't say that in church. But Paul did. I mean, Philippians was written uh, to be read in church, to the church at Philippi. It was, that, that's what it was. Like they, he would write it, they read it to them. And it would have been a real shocker sitting in church that day to hear Paul say, Scubala, you'd be like, But, you know, you put your hand over your like some of you are doing right now with your kids, you know, uh, with even what I'm doing. And um, it'd be like it'd be a shot. Now, I'm not saying that Paul thought it was cool to be loose with our language because he's not. In fact, in the same book, he says, man, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is proper for building other people up. Things like that. Um, he, He wasn't loose with his language. He wasn't like pro say every bad word and don't worry about it. He wasn't that that wasn't him. So this was intentional. This was purposeful. He's making a really, really big point. And he's saying, look, here's what I learned. Even without Jesus, you can do all you can. The Bible will help you have a great life without Jesus or at least a much better life. There's so much wisdom here for every area of life, whether it's your career, your relationships, you name it and you do it and you can you can have a better future. Paul did it. And you said, You know, I got all that. But in comparison to the real prize, in comparison to what God actually wants for us, I realize it's just a bunch of scuba. And what's the real prize? Well, it's right there. I want to know Christ. That's the real prize of future quest. It's not just all these things are going to be great. That's cool. God wants that. That's awesome. But that's not the real prize. The prize for us is in the process, we have the opportunity of knowing Christ, meaning Jesus, our God, our creator, that you and I can know him and have a transformation, righteousness that comes from him, his work in our life as we become more like him. That's the real prize. And that happens in the process of future quest. It happens in the journey. And that's why the journey is even more important than whatever destination we have in our mind when we think about our future because it's in the journey we get the real prize. I want to know Christ. Now I want us to, I want us to hear Paul continue because I want you to hear his, the journey. I want you to hear the imperfection in his journey. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal because he won't. You and I won't until we meet Jesus one day. But, he, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus uh, took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, my successes, failures, done is done, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. For Paul, future quest wasn't about the goal wasn't even about reaching the goal. It was about reaching for the goal. And in reaching for the goal, he found the real prize, which is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and being found in him and our identity in him. That's the real glory. That's the real prize of future quest. And what that means for us in this very imperfect journey that we have is that future quest is not about performance, but relationship with God, not about perfection. But process. Because the truth is God uses all of it. Our ups and downs, our wins and losses, our successes, our failures. He he uses all of it in our journey. That's what we're talking about today. If you wonder, like, what did Jeff talk about today? If somebody asks you, you're like, I don't know. I know know he told us a cuss word and stuff. I remember that. But let's remember this instead. So here it is. God is in charge of our very imperfect journey. And he uses our good steps and our missteps to complete what he promises to complete. The God is in charge. We're not. That's good news of our very imperfect journey. And he uses our good steps. And we should take every good step. And when we do, we'll be forever grateful for that. Like, it makes our life a lot easier when we join God and we obey him. I'm all for good steps. But God will even use our missteps and our failures to complete what he promises to complete. God uses it all to create the beautiful thing that he's working to create. Um, if you've been around Chase Oaks for a while, you, you've heard me talk about a person in my life that was very significant. She was a mentor in my life early on in my Christian faith uh, when I was in high school and even more in college. Her name is Miss Helen, if, if you haven't heard of her. Miss Helen was in her 70s and then 80s when I was in college, and she's had a contagious, vibrant relationship with God. Uh, She was the kind of person everybody wanted to be around, whether you knew Jesus or not. She was just this delightful, wonderful, loving, joyful person. And she taught me uh, how to read the Bible. She bought me my first journal so I could write down my learnings. And when I was in college, I was in the same town as she lived in. And so every Monday night in college... uh, I brought dinner over to her house and she was in her 80s. Uh, I would she would I'd bring my journal and my bible and I would share what God had taught me that week and my, that I had written down in my journal. And she was so nice. She always acted like it was the most profound thing she'd ever heard. As this 19-year-old was, you know, giving all my wisdom. She's like, "Oh, that is so amazing. That is so, you know." And uh and which was nice. I'm sure it wasn't amazing at all. Um Oh, God loves you. I'm so glad. Oh, that's so incredible. Think about it. You're right. Whatever it was, I was writing out. And uh, she taught piano at a Christian college. And students would take piano who didn't give a flip about piano. They didn't want to ever play piano. They just wanted to be on the piano bench with her. She was just that kind of person. And, and you think, well, what makes that kind of person that kind of person? Like, and uh, here's what she looked like, by the way. Uh, she's been in heaven now about 25 years. But, um you know, what makes a Miss Helen a Miss Helen? So with that thought in mind, one time I asked her, I said, so as you look back at your life, and she was, I don't know, 80 something then, as you look back at your life, what would you change? Because she had suffered a lot. Uh, There are things that happened to her that were, anybody would be like, wow, that's, that's a lot. Um, And obviously like anybody, she'd sinned and failed and messed up and so I just said, so if you look back in your life, what would you change? I said, Jeff, I wouldn't change a thing. And I was like, well, how can you say that? I mean, I get that maybe it was suffering because, you know, God met you in that weakness and that suffering and you grew and all. But like your sin too, like, you know, how you hurt God's reputation, you hurt people, you, you know. she said, Jeff, I wouldn't change a thing. He said, Jeff, if, if I hadn't known suffering, I would never know God as my strength. If I'd never known weakness, I wouldn't know Him, you know, as, as the one who was the, the one who would keep me going. If I, if I hadn't failed, I wouldn't know Him as my Redeemer. If I hadn't sinned, I wouldn't know Him as my Savior. If I, if I hadn't been broken, I would never know Him as my Restorer. I wouldn't change a thing. And honestly, back then, as a 19-year-old, I remember thinking, you know, this must be a getting old problem. She's not thinking right, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> But now that I'm not in my 80s, but a little, you know, closer than 19, I've lived enough. to you know, you know what? I I get what she was saying. Because God uses all of it in our journey. And he really is in charge of it. I I want you to hear it from her. Uh, We're actually going to hear her. I mean, not from heaven. This was a recording uh, from about 30 years, 25, 26 years ago um, at her retirement. And um, she... Uh, She retired from that job teaching piano at that Christian college. This is like a dinner given in her honor. And she gave a little speech. You're going to hear most of it. You're going to hear the heart of it. And as you hear this, I want you to hear what she chose to talk about. Because she could have talked about anything as she thought about her ministry and what God had used in her life. But I want you to hear what she talks about. And you also get to hear a real Alabama accent. Some of you think I have an Alabama accent. You're going to hear a real Alabama accent, but you're also going to see her perspective in, in what she chooses to talk about. So let's listen to Ms. Helen.
1: In fact, in my earlier years, I had to be crushed. And I had given my life to Christ when I was young. And then when I was 13 years old, I claimed the verses in romans twelve one and two to give my body a living sacrifice unto the Lord. but in the ensuing years, I had tribulations, I had a marriage which ended in divorce, and I thought my ministry was through, and I told the Lord, I said, I have failed.' And I had so wanted to serve you, but I failed. And when I told him this, one of my friends came to see me, and she said, Helen, I need some spiritual help. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy. I can't give you any spiritual help. I said, I failed. She said, you know, I like you better now than I did before. (laughs) She said, you used to go around with this bright smile, and when somebody had failed, you'd say, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. And I thought, you know, she's never failed. She's never suffered. She said, I'd rather listen to you now. So I went back to the Lord, and he showed me through the Scripture. That these were the kind of people that he chose, the foolish, the weak, those that are not. And I said, Lord, I do fall into that category. (laughs) And so tonight, I want to praise the Lord and thank him for what he's done through me through these years. He gets all the praise. And he has given me a love for him and for people. And my desire is to know God and to lead others to know him through Jesus Christ.
0: So she, yeah, we can thank the Lord for her. So notice the prize, right? To know know God, to know Christ, to make him known. I mean, and what does she emphasize? Of all the things she could have talked about, she did some really cool things. She talked about failure as the thing that, that most contributed to the prize for her, right? Because as good as our good steps are and they are, we should take every one of them. The truth is God does even more profound work often in our failures, right? In our, in our missteps, not just our steps. I mean, that's what we're talking about today. Remember, God is in charge of our very imperfect journey. And he uses our good steps and our missteps to complete what he promises to complete. When we open up our life to him, he's in control of the process. He will get us there. Don't get me wrong. We should take every good step we can because that makes our life easier. We should cooperate with him. And all those good steps in this series you've talked about, do them. But even your missteps, they don't disqualify you. They equip you for God's future for you as we allow him to work in our life. And so let's think about that a little bit, because here's, here's the way we're going to end this series and end today's talk is surrender. Like I give up, I surrender. Like surrender control to the God who's in control anyway. Give up our illusion of control. And, and for those of you, th- this may be an opportunity. We're going to pray in a few minutes and I'll tell you how we're going to do that. Um, and opportunities you interact with God may be to open your life to His presence. And it's what it means to begin a relationship with God. Because like we said, you can, you can come here and listen to what the Bible says. Like a friend of mine who's not a Jesus follower comes every now and then and, and he's told me, man, I, every time I come and, and you talk out of the Bible or Ryan or whoever talks out of the Bible, it's, my life is so much better when I do what the Bible tells me to do. It's really helpful. And that's true. You could build a great future without Jesus, or at least a better future without Jesus, but actually miss the real point and miss the real prize. And so maybe for you, it's an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. It, you know, he came to make that possible. That's why Jesus is God who took on human form. He became human for you and me. He died on the cross to take the penalty that you and I deserve for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And he rose again from the dead so that he could, when we begin a relationship with him, raise us up to new life, create a new us. And, and, and once, we begin, once we commit to him, he commits to us. What, what he begins, he will complete, like we saw at the very beginning. And this may be your opportunity to open up your life to his work in your life. For others of you, uh, maybe you've already, you know, done that. Maybe what you need to surrender is your sense of control. Maybe your expectations of what God should do because you're, you feel like you're doing everything right or you're doing a lot of right stuff and therefore my marriage should look like this or my job should look like this, my friends should look like, whatever it is. Just giving that up. Uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe you're on the other side. You know, you're not a high performer. You, you don't do a lot of things right. And, and maybe you failed in some big way or you just keep messing up. And for you, maybe it's it's surrendering Shame. The idea that your failure controls the process, not God. And, and so you just need to give that up to God and allow him to use it in your life. I don't know. But wherever we are, it's an opportunity and a fresh way to surrender to God's control. And the illusion of our control to give it up. So here's how we're going to do that. Um. In a little bit. Well, actually, I'm going to have the usher people go ahead and, and pass out the communion elements. Um, we're going to take communion together. Now, I'll, I'll explain how, what that is. Some of you are like, what? What is that? Um, so communion is something, actually, that Jesus asked us to do. Um, it's, he, he did this with his disciples and then said, hey, you know, from time to time as you gather, do this. And you'll know, just start passing it any time. Um, What you'll get is a little cracker and a little bit of juice. The cracker is gluten-free and the juice is alcohol-free. And the reason is because some people have issues with both. And so this does away with all that. It's, It's a reminder. This is a memorial. It's a reminder. It's why Jesus passed out of his enduring love for us, his unconditional love for you. Like if you ever doubt God's love for you, that God has a good future for you, this is a perfect thing to do. Because he came for you and me. And he gave his life. God gave everything. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And the, the bread reminds us of his body that was broken for us. His, the juice, his blood that was spilled for us and how he, 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 that's why he came. And so it's an opportunity to, as we think about this, it's also, it's called communion because it's a time to commune with God. And so I invite you to make this,